If you have your copy of God's Word, I'd ask you to open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be talking about this passage in the Bible that talks about the battle, uh, the armor of God, really. I was with a gentleman at lunch, uh, a gentleman part of our church at lunch a couple weeks ago, and um, we were walking out, leaving lunch, walking out to his car, and he said, you can always tell which car is mine. He's a military guy. He said, you can always tell which car is mine because I always park battle ready. And some of you military people may know what that means. I didn't know what he meant. I was like, battle, like, is there like cannons on the side of your car? I don't know what that, I don't know. You get the Batmobile. I don't know what that means. And, and he said, no, he's always like backed in, faced out, ready to go at a moment's notice. If something goes wrong and everybody's, he can just zoom right out the quickest possible way. And, uh, and I thought, I never thought about that. You know, I just pull into a parking lot. But I thought about that in relation to our spiritual life. Are we battle ready in our spiritual life? And, you know, I thought in the military, people, they're always thinking in that way, right? They're always thinking, you know, to be ready to go at a moment's notice. What could go wrong? You know, how do I, what are we going to do to be prepared for what we don't expect? And I thought as Christians, are we battle ready? Are we thinking about even the little things like that uh, in this, uh, in this uh, battle we're in? And I don't know if you know it, but if you're following Christ and you're a Christian, you're in a battle. You may not like it or not, but you got drafted. You got drafted when you decided to follow Christ, because uh, you, you decided, you made that decision to follow Jesus. Uh, the Bible says there's an enemy out there. We're going to read about that in a minute. And you got drafted into the battle and you're in it. And so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, I love this song. I didn't know they were going to sing it today. They introduced this as a new song to us today. I've known it, but I, I didn't know they were going to sing it today. But I, I just asked, look at that verse. And I said, that really helps us understand the battle. It says, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And that reminds me so much about this battle that is really God's and not ours. And really, he's the one who has the power and the armies and, and all of that. And it's really not ours, right? It's really not a battle that is fought like anyone we know. It's not a physical, you know, we think of battle, we think physical, we think of engaging, it's not the battle that God's talking about here. It's a different battle. It's a battle fought in a realm that we don't see. You know, they tell us there's only like a certain like band of light that we're able to see with our eyes. I kind of think of that when I think of spiritual, spiritual things. You know, there's only this band uh, that we can see, this realm. But the Bible says there's another realm that exists. It's a spiritual realm. We don't see it, but it's very real. Pastor Brian did such a great job last week just bringing that home. That, that what we see, reality, is more than what we see. The devil wants us to believe that everything you see is all reality, all there is, but it's just not true. And Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. Pastor Brian read 10 through 13 last week, or 10 through 12. <clears throat> and I just want to read the context and read 10 through 16, and we'll really be in 13 through 16 for the remainder of our time together today. But Here's a passage about the armor of God and about this battle. Paul writes this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. 
And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. <clears throat> this is this passage on the, the battle. Excuse me. Pastor Brian did a great job last week just framing out this beginning part of what this battle is really like. And there's a couple things I think we can draw from it that, that he um, really hit on last week. And if you hadn't heard that message, make sure you go get it. It's a, it's, it's a great message on this. I think really eye-opening. You want to definitely hear that. But some of the things we can learn about this battle is this battle is not against people. It's not against people. You don't fight against people. I think that's important for us to see. Paul's saying in here, look, we don't battle against people. You don't, this battle is not against the worker that you have a hard time with or that family member that just can't get along with you or, or that boss that just won't let up or someone of a different religion or, a, or someone that's intolerant of your religion or someone that has different beliefs or someone that has different, lives a different lifestyle. This, they're not the enemy. That's not your battle. This, this says the battle is not against flesh and blood. You know what people are according to the Bible? People are people that God loves and died for and wants us to reach. Not people we're to be battling against. They're the people that God said that, that, he, that he loves. And we don't battle against them. Your battle is not against people. You may have someone that's frustrating you like crazy in your life. They are not your enemy. And it's interesting that Paul would say this because he had people throwing rocks at him. He had people wanting to kill him. He's not my enemy. The battle is really fought in the spiritual realm, not against people. And so the first thing we realize is this battle is a spiritual one. It's not one against people. And the second thing I think it's important for us to know is we don't fight the battle. Look at the verse. Where's, show me the word fight. Anyone find it yet? It's not in there. Struggle, wrestle, stand. Nothing about you fighting the devil. Nothing about you fighting demons. Nothing about you fighting this battle. Some people get into this passage and they're like, you gotta fight the devil. Don't do it, you're gonna lose. Because you're not called to fight the devil. You're not called to fight demons. You know who's called? You know who fights the devil? You know who fights demons? God. God does it. God fights the battle. God's the one who fights on your behalf and on my behalf. God's the one that handles the devil and puts him in his place. Jesus did that on the cross. And God continues to do that. It's not about fighting. The, this, this passage talks about standing so that God can fight. There's another passage that really brings us home in Exodus when the Israelites had come out of Egypt and they were delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, but then they're stuck with the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them, and they don't know what's gonna happen. And they're in this situation, they're going to Moses, they're saying, you brought us out here to die. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here in the desert to die? And Moses gives them the word of God and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, do not be afraid, stand Sound familiar? Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. 
What a good reminder. Because I know sometimes we can get weary and we think we got to go fight the battle. And somebody sometimes, maybe somebody along the line told you, you got to fight the battle. God is the one who fights. In fact, one of his names in the Old Testament is the God who fights for you. He's the God who fights for you. You don't go out and fight the devil. That's not what this passage is about. We're not the one who fights. God fights. And the third thing we can learn, the battle's not against people. It's not the battle we fight. It's the Lord. And the third thing is this. We're called to stand. We're called to stand. What this passage does say is stand. Stand firm. And then when you've done everything to stand, stand. And that's what you're called to do. And then Paul says to do that, you got to put on this spiritual armor. We sang a song earlier in the service that said, when evening comes, I want to be singing, right? I want to sing. When the evening comes, let me be singing. How do you do that? How do you get to the end of your day? All the people that have come across your path, all the challenges, all the difficulties, all the frustrating things that have happened and still be able to sing. Still be able to sing to the Lord. I think the way we do it is by putting on this spiritual armor. Not fighting, but standing. Being able to stand firm. So the six pieces of armor, we're going to talk about three of them today. And so they're armor. You say, well, what's the deal with armor? Paul is writing this letter from prison. And in prison, he would have been chained to a Roman guard. So, you know, like any pastor or preacher in his day, you look for things around you for illustrations. He found a Roman soldier he's chained to. And he uses the armor of a Roman soldier for an illustration of how uh, Christians are spiritually protect themselves. And so he gives six pieces of armor. Today we're going to talk about uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of the feet of uh, the gospel of peace, and the shield of faith. <clears throat> Next week we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm calling it Back to School Sunday. We're going to talk about, um, we're going to recognize some of you are teachers in the education field, public school, private school, different schools, you're in the education field. We're going to take a few minutes just to recognize the important task that you have uh, because we're going to talk about the belt of truth next week and uh, how truth can be eroded and is being eroded in many educational situations. And the week after that, we'll talk about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. So three weeks, really four weeks because Pastor Brian <clears throat> again, got us kicked off last week really talking about this whole armor. Uh, so we want to talk about uh, the battle and armor. Here's what's interesting to me about armor. We have body armor in our day, right? Our police, our, you know, our, our military, they wear body armor. They wear these incredible uh, Kevlar vests that I think are unbelievable that we can, there can be a material that's lightweight and like, like sewn together in, in patterns that, that is so strong it can stop a bullet. I mean, that's amazing. Can you imagine in Paul's day, if you told these Roman soldiers, you don't have to wear that heavy metal, just, just wear this sweater and, and, and it'll stop a spear, a bullet. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? It's crazy. It's amazing. But armor never arrested somebody. Armor never caught a criminal. Armor never fired a gun. Armor never won the battle. Armor allows you to stand in the battle. Armor protects your vital organs so you can stay there. Armor allows you protection so you can stand. It doesn't fight the battle. So it's interesting to me that Paul doesn't say, here's the weapons. Take up your weapons and fight. He doesn't say that. He says, put on your armor. 
so you can stand. Even the only weapon that is offensive, it could be the sword, the sword of the spirit could be an offensive weapon. The sword's still a defensive weapon, isn't it? I mean, you're blocking, you're using that in battle. You put on that armor to protect you so you can stand. It says against the devil's schemes. You protect your spiritual, your vital spirituality. And so Paul says, look, put on this armor. And there's, let me talk about three things this morning. The first thing is the, the, your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. I talk about those first because your feet, that's your footing, right? If you're going to stand, you've got to have good footing. So the feet are fitted with the gospel of peace, Roman soldiers, what Paul's talking about is, it was kind of sandals. I mean, they didn't have combat boots with steel toes and things like that like we got. They, they, had, they had sandals pretty much, but here's what, the, here's what was unique about their battle sandals. They had spikes driven through the bottom of them, like, like football cleats or baseball cleats. And so they could, they could dig them into the ground and stand their ground. It gave them the footing. It gave them the ability to stand up if somebody was, you know, coming against them. And it's interesting to me that Paul, when he talks about standing and he talks about your footing, what's on your feet? You're grounded in the gospel. That's where everything starts from. You're grounded in the gospel of peace. The peace between you and God and the peace between you and others around you. This armor is really just a summary of all stuff Paul's already talked about throughout the book. So in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Paul's saying, look, put on the, start with your feet fitted with peace. You're going to stand on the gospel of peace. The fact that Jesus Christ saved you, redeemed you, loved you. You know, he died for you. He accomplished your salvation. That's your footing. Peace. He allowed peace between you and God. But he also says it's peace between you and the people around you. He's been saying that in Ephesians. There's no barriers. The walls are broken down. Live and be people of peace. That's what God's called you to be. Feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. It's so interesting to me that when Paul could use any word to describe the gospel, he says the gospel of peace. Here's a guy who's getting stones thrown at him. Here's a guy who's, who's he's getting his life threatened all the time. It's the gospel of peace. Here's a guy who's getting thrown out of synagogues. It's the gospel of peace, he says. Have your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. Reminds me of Peter when Jesus was being arrested to go to the cross and he takes up his sword, cuts off that soldier's ear, and Jesus... Incredible moment, right? Wouldn't you have liked to be there? Puts the ear back on. No plastic surgery. Just puts the ear back on. And he says to Peter, Peter, put your sword away. I didn't come to bring sword. I didn't bring, come to bring a sword. I come to bring peace. It's a gospel of peace. And so you're called in your, in your environment, in your place, if you're going to uh, live and thrive and, and protect yourself, to be a person of peace. I'm called to be a person of peace. One example of, of what that looked like in one particular man's life was a man named Telemachus. Telemachus lived in the 5th century. So the 5th century, he was a monk in the 5th century. He was a Christian monk who lived out in the desert. And so the 5th century is after the uh, uh, Emperor Constantine, the Edict of Milan, when they declared Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire. And so it's supposedly a Christian uh, Christian empire or Christendom. Uh, 
And uh, Telemachus is living out in the desert somewhere, and God tells him, you can't live out in the desert. I need you to go. You can't hide from people, basically. I need you to go into the city, and, and you got to minister for me. He goes into the city, and uh, Rome had just won a battle. He goes to the city of Rome, and Rome had just won a battle. And so they went into all their churches, because that's what they did. They felt like, look, we run a battle. We're going to go into all our churches and, and thank God for winning the battle. But after they went into their churches, they filled the Colosseum. They filled the Colosseum with 80,000 people for the gladiator matches. They weren't killing Christians in the Colosseums anymore, but they were still killing their enemies. So the Goths that they had just defeated, they'd throw them in the gladiator battles and they'd, for entertainment, watch them be killed. And Telemachus, you know, you can't do this. You, we're Christian. We're supposed to be this Christian empire. These are people who God died for. You may have defeated them in battle, but these are people who Jesus died on the cross for. You can't do this. So he doesn't know what to do. So this gladiator battle is going on, and this person fitted with his feet with the gospel of peace jumps into the gladiator ring in between the two gladiators, and he won't move. And he stays there between the two gladiators, and the match can't go on. And the crowd starts yelling at him and chanting and, and, and you know, uh, saying all kinds of things. And then they start throwing things at him. And they start throwing rocks. And they stone him to death. Telemachus dies there in the Colosseum. The rest of the contests were canceled that day. Three days later, Honorius, the, the Roman emperor at the time, declared Telemachus a martyr and ended all gladiatorial contests. And one historian wrote, Telemachus in his death was more useful to mankind than in his life. And I tell that story because here's a man, how do you, how do you stand against gladiators in a crowd of 80,000 people? Aren't you tempted to fight or get your own army or but his feet fitted with the gospel of peace. He stood, and they stoned him, but with his death, it brought about more peace. And so there'll be times in your life where you're going to be tempted to fire back angrily or bitter or get mad, and Paul says, the first part of your armor, that, that armor where your feet, how they hold firm, is the gospel of peace that you're a part of. Be a person of peace. And so the, your feet are fitted with the gospel of peace. The second thing is this, you're, you're the breastplate of righteousness. And righteousness, I, my quick definition, it, what I came up with is this, doing right by God and people. Doing right by God and people. Doing the right thing in the right way by God and by other people. Doing the right thing in the right way by God and by other people is righteousness. So with righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness, let there be nothing that the enemy could use against you, nothing hidden, no hypocrisy, no cunning or manipulation, no ulterior motives. Basically, be a person of integrity. The, breast, the breastplate of righteousness is being a person of integrity. Paul already said it again. He's just summarizing what he already said. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Be and live a righteous and integral life. Pastor Brian used this great illustration last week of Evie Hill. And if you didn't hear it, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but get to download the podcast 
It's a message you want to hear, but he used this great illustration of E.V. Hill and this temptation to get out of line when God had told him that he was supposed to be in line to stay in this school. And the question is, how do we stay in line when it comes to the breastplate of righteousness? How do we stay following God's plan? You stay in line by not giving in to the temptation to give in. That's how you stay in line when it comes to righteousness. You stay in line by not selling out your integrity to the highest bidder. You stay in line by not being a liar or a cheater. Every time you refuse the easy road for the harder right road, you stay in line. That's the breastplate of righteousness. It protects you from the schemes of the enemy. It protects you from the schemes of the enemy. See, you have an enemy that would like to discredit you. Because if he can discredit you, he can discredit your God. Or at least in people's eyes. You have an enemy that if you leave yourself open to being manipulated... You leave yourself open, you're doing something in front of people and something different when they're not looking. What you do is you just, you're like taking off your armor. You expose yourself. You expose yourself to being discredited. And if the enemy can discredit you, what he can do is he can discredit your God in other people's eyes. You know, we can, doing the right thing for the wrong reason can discredit us. I, I, there's a case that's been in the news a lot lately, the Annie Dukem case, right? You guys, uh, some of you have heard about this, right? Annie Dukem was this uh, scientist, chemist for, um, uh, for the Boston, for the crime lab, right? Uh, and she was, you know, caught, you know, falsifying a lot of her work. Um, th- this case really upset my wife. She said she discredited chemists and women in one thing, and she didn't like that. But um, she, she discredited, right, a lot of her work that she was doing. Now, a lot of her work probably put the right people, you know, got the right people punished. A lot of it did. But what's happening now is every case is being reviewed, thrown out, people released from prison. Why? Because she was doing the right thing in the wrong way. The right thing for the wrong reason, and it discredited all her work. And you and I, if we're caught doing the right thing, but we go about it in the wrong way, you know, we're going we're gonna to cheat to get ahead so we can make more money to give it to God. <laughs> Something like that. You do the right thing in the wrong way. It just discredits. It can discredit all of our work. It can discredit all of our witness. And so we're called to do the right thing in the wrong way because the enemy is looking for an opportunity to discredit you. And you never know who's watching. You don't know who's watching your life. A few months ago, I was <clears throat> working in my garage <clears throat> and just doing a project there and working on, <clears throat> I don't even remember what I was working on, but the mailman came by and he, uh, he came down, so I went out, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I went out to get the mail so he didn't have to walk up the driveway just to save him the trip up and grabbed the mail from him, started walking back to the garage and, and he said to me, he said, can you pray for me? And I said, uh, excuse me? Now, it's not usually a request I get from the mailman. I don't even see the mailman. I don't even know the mailman. I'm glad he delivers the mail. I know he's there. He's like the Holy Spirit. I know he's there, but I don't see him. Um, <laughs> but I happen to be home this day. And he says, can you pray for me? And I, and I said, uh, sure. What, what do you want me to pray for? And he said, well, I'm having trouble at, at work and in my job. I don't know if the job's going to be secure. I don't know what's going on. And, and could you just pray for my job? 
And I said, sure, uh, you know, I'll pray for you. What's, what's your name? I don't even know the mailman's name. That's my fault. I should know my mailman's name, right? I don't even know my mailman's name. And he says, John. And I said, okay, John, yeah, I'll definitely. I'll pray for you. I'll, I'll, absolutely. And so I went back to my garage, put the mail down, prayed for John, prayed that God would protect his job and provide for him and all of his needs. And I went back to my work. But it didn't hit me for a few minutes. Think about why did John ask me to pray for him? He only knows me from the stuff he puts in my little mailbox every day. I have never had a conversation with him. I had never talked with him. He only knows me from whatever is getting delivered to my house. And somehow from seeing the mail, seeing what's delivered to my house, somehow he thought I can trust this person and I can ask this person to pray to God for me when I'm in a time of need. And I thought that's interesting. I don't know what he saw. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if it's the focus on the family stuff. I don't know if the stuff that comes that just says Reverend Picarello. I, I, I'm not sure what it is. But something he saw in the mail that he just drops in the box. I don't think he was going to every house asking them to pray for him that day. I didn't see him doing that. But then I thought, what if I was getting some stuff delivered to my house that discredited all that other stuff? What if it was, oh, nobody's going to see it? comes in the mail. Not buying it in the store. Nobody's going to see me. Nobody's going to know. What if I was getting some stuff in the mail that discredited it? I believe what would have happened is the enemy would, would take that and, and would highlight it right in the eyes of that mailman to say, you can't trust this person. See the way these Christians are? You can't trust them. He gets one mail that says reverend and another mail that's, that's sketchy and suspicious. Just like, you know, anyone else. And I think the enemy would use that to discredit the witness. Because the enemy is looking for an opportunity to find a chink in that armor of righteousness. Not that we're perfect, because none of us are going to be perfect. But we live in right relationship with God and people. So that when we, when we do sin, we go to God, we make it right, we ask forgiveness, we repent, and we make it right with God, and we make it right with any of the people we have to around us, and we go on in full integrity. But I thought about that. What if he had seen something else? What does our mail say about us? The stuff we think nobody sees, who sees my mail? It's like a government offense to look at my mail. Except for the mailman. You never know who's watching. thought of another time. A few years ago, I was doing a, a premarital counseling appointment. <clears throat> and it was with a couple. There was uh, new Christians. They were, they were uh, really new to the church, really new to just following Christ. Um, and, and it was a friend of someone who was in the church that this friend had prayed them in and, and just was really excited that they were making steps in God. And they were, they were taking steps to follow God and just so excited about what God was doing in their life. And so they came in and, and they filled out their inventory that I have all the premarital couples fill out and they filled it out and I, and I got the results back and, and I looked at it and it said, you know, their, their information and it said they're living at the same address. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, and so, you know, I, the Bible talks clearly about uh, physical intimacy and, and sexual relationship being reserved for between a husband and a wife. So anytime that happens, 
with me and, and a couple comes and I find that out, I always take the same approach. I sit down with them and I as lovingly as possible explain why the Bible says what it does and God's not a killjoy. God wants the best for your relationship and God wants you to experience the, the, the most joy and intimacy in your relationship and that's, that's why he's designed it for that covenant between a husband and a wife and, and, and the fact that your relationship it is best to bear that burden when you have made a lifelong vow and commitment. So just, just doing what I, I do that with every couple. If this ever comes up, I lovingly explain that and try and talk with them. But with this couple, I knew. When I saw that, I thought, they are so young in the faith and they are so new to the church that this could be the thing that, that just drives them away. This could be the thing that they're like, oh, I... I But it's also important for them to know what God says. So I sat down with them, and explained what I always explain, and I shared why, and I lovingly explained what, what God's reasoning behind it and, and talked about it. And I said what I said to every couple. Look, if, you know, if, you, if you're willing to, you know, between now and your wedding, you're, you're willing to lay aside your desires and live for God's desires and, and live, live in a pure way between now and your wedding, I'd be happy to, to be involved in your wedding and help you enter into marriage and and, uh, and, you know, the same conversation I've had with, with couples over the years. And so I had that conversation with them. And it's the last time I saw them. Never saw them again after that. Never came back to the church. Never talked to me. Never called me. Never followed. That was, that was the last conversation I had with them. And I thought about the friend that had prayed and blessed them and loved them into this church. And I thought, oh. I wonder what they're going to do. Because the temptation could be to say, oh, you know, just pretend I didn't see it. And don't ask, don't tell. The temptation could be to say, oh, let's, just, let's not cause a stir, cause waves. So then I, I didn't ask this friend about it. But later I found out the friend had been talking to her friend about this very situation. And she had been telling her, look, this is just not the right way to live. This is not what God wants for you. This is not God's best for you. This is not, you know, you know God, this is God designed sexuality and the relationship between a man and a woman in a very particular way, and this is not the right way. And Pastor Rick will tell you the same thing. What if I didn't? What if I didn't? What if I didn't? It would have discredited. We discredited my relationship, discredited uh, the, the righteousness, discredited you know, who, who I say I am. You know, and, and in many ways, maybe discredited the God that I serve, right? We're not perfect, and I know there are times I've missed the mark. You know, there are times where, where people probably have looked at my life and said, oh, man, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want it. And I pray in those times that God's grace covers and God's grace moves and, and God's grace has covered those times. I'm sure there are times where, where I have missed the mark. I have not made it. Somebody, you know, looked at something, saw something, and, and maybe it didn't point them towards Christ. And, and, and I, uh, you know, pray that those times are few and far between. And if they ever happen, that God's grace covers it. But it's this breastplate of righteousness that God calls us to wear. Because people are watching you. People are watching you. And the devil would love to discredit your life in order to try and discredit the God that you serve 
in the eyes of the people around you. And so Paul says, you put on that breastplate of righteousness to protect yourself. Don't be phony. It's not about, it's not about faking it. It's not about, you know, covering up stuff. That's not what it's about. It's about getting right with God and people and then living a righteous life. It's about living for God and being honest when we fall short and making it right with God and with the people around us. Breastplate of righteousness. Final one this morning is the shield of faith. I don't know what you think of when you think of a shield and a Roman guard, but you might like me, like I first think of, I think of that little round thing that you sometimes see on uh, like gladiator movies or old like Roman movies, this little like shield they have on their wrist. It's this little round kind of thing that they use to deflect blows, but that's not the shield Paul's thinking about here. The shield that Paul's thinking about is about the size of a, of a man or, you know, whatever average man is. I don't know. I'm a little, but the size, right? It's, it's like a picnic table type thing, and, and it's like rounded so that what they could do is they get in their formation, and everyone in the front holds out their big shields, and everyone on the sides holds out their big shields, and then the people in the next rows, they hold them over their head, and they call that the tortoise formation, and it covers, you know, everyone. You shield on all sides, except it's penetrable to one thing. Arrows of pitch lit on fire. And you fire those arrows of pitch on fire and you fire them into the tortoise formation. They stick in that shield and they burn that wooden shield up. So what they figured out to do is they would cover these shields in big, heavy, thick pieces of leather and soak them in water. And, and so that when the flaming arrows would hit, that they would actually be extinguished rather than burning up the shield and the soldier dropping it because he's got a shield that's on fire and suddenly the whole formation is vulnerable. But so they had these shields that they would douse in water and they would extinguish the arrows. And that's what Paul has in mind. He says, take up the shield of faith to extinguish the arrows, flaming arrows of the enemy. So what's that? The shield of faith. Paul's talked about it already. Faith, he said, for, but it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. It's faith, the trust in God, that his grace, that what he's said and what he's done, that he is true and it's right. And I think about faith and this whole idea of the faith Shield, and I wonder if some of us are walking around with just dried up wood shields. And the leather is cracking, and the wood is dry, and if someone shoots an arrow at it, it's just going to burn up. I wonder if the image isn't here that we have to grasp is that sometimes we have to periodically, we've got to get these shields dipped in the waters of faith. That you got to keep your shield wet and, uh, with faith in order to extinguish the arrows of the enemy. That faith that God is who he said he is, that faith that what God has done, that it's the same God that will continue to do that, the faith that reminds yourself, oh yeah, that's what God did 10 years ago or five years ago or last month. God came through and it builds up your faith because you know what the arrows that are being shot at you are? They're arrows of discouragement. They're arrows of, of discouragement that are being fired at you just like Pastor Brian mentioned last week, the arrow that says, you're not good enough. What are you doing there? Get out of line. 
You don't belong in that church. You don't belong in that marriage. You don't belong with those people. You don't belong in that job. You're not good enough. Get out of there. God's not going to come through for you like he's come through for other people. Forget it. Quit praying. Just quit. Those arrows that say, God doesn't, he may love people, but he doesn't love you. You know everything you've done. Arrows of discouragement. How are you going to, how are you going to put those arrows out? How are you going to fight an enemy that you can't see? How are you going to put those arrows out? How are you going to stand in that moment? Paul says you take up the shield of faith to extinguish those arrows. Faith that God is who he said he is. He's, he, he's done it in the past. He'll come through again. He's faithful to his word. It may not look like it all around you. Everything may not look great all around you right now. But you take up that shield of faith. You say, this is who God is. I believe it. You go into your word and you say, this, I've seen how Paul's work. I've seen the way God has worked. And, and Paul documents it in, in many of his letters. God comes through. And you take up that shield of faith. Because there's plenty of arrows of discouragement being shot at you. I was reminded of this, what this shield looks like last Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, I was, I was visiting um, Jean Fraser, and she, she told me I can share this with you. In fact, she told me to share this with you. Um, so I'll do that. Um, some of you know Jean Fraser. If you don't know her, she's just the lady that kisses you when you come to church. So now you know who Jean Fraser is. Um, so Jean, I was visiting her in the hospital last Sunday because she, she fell uh, last uh, week ago Friday. She fell and cracked her, cracked her pelvis in two places. And so she was in the hospital. And I, that's what I said. Oh, and she's like, hey, I didn't break my hip. And I'm like, I didn't know they were different. But if you say so, <laughs> apparently a big difference between breaking your hip and cracking your pelvis. And, uh, and so she was praising God. So I walked into the hospital. And I walked out of Jean's room. And I knew which room was Jean's right away because it was a Sunday afternoon. And every room I walked by had the Patriots game on. But Jean's room had the Red Sox game on. Because Jean is, that's what she says, I'm glad I'm here because Bob can watch the Patriots game at home by himself. Um, so she's watching the Red Sox. I made her shut it off while I was there. I don't know if she liked it, but she shut it off for a while and we talked and we prayed. And she said, she said, Pastor, if I'm not in church next Sunday, I'm like, you're not going to be in church next Sunday. But okay, tell me. I'm like, if I'm not in church next Sunday, she said, you tell them. This is the devil trying to discourage me because God has been healing me. God had healed my knee. God had been working in my life, working in my body. And this is just a discouragement. The devil's trying to discourage me, trying to discredit. But God has been at work. And you make sure you tell the church that God has been healing and God has been at work. And I thought, just a reminder, I thought about that this week. I thought, that's the shield of faith. You're sitting there with a cracked pelvis in a hospital. You can't move. You can't do the things you want to do. You know, you can't be where you want to be. And you don't lose your faith. You don't lose your trust. You don't lose seeing God at work. That's the shield of faith. You're out of work. The checks have stopped coming. The health report's not good. The family things are tough. It's been a tough week. It's a shield of faith that extinguishes those arrows. It's the shield of faith dipped in the waters of faith that you need in that moment that I need in that moment to remind us that God is who he said he is. He's done it in the past and he'll come through again. And so here we are. And Paul 
has told us to stand. And God tells us in that moment, stand. The arrows of discouragement are being slung at you. Someone's trying to tell you, you can't do it. You're not worth it. You'll never make it. And Paul says, stand. Someone's trying to chip away at your reputation, trying to start rumors about you, trying to, trying to discredit you so they can get ahead, and it's getting you upset. And, and, and God says, stand. The breastplate of righteousness. Someone's trying to get you into an argument. They're trying to get you angry. They're trying to frustrate you. They're, they're, they're trying to do everything they can to, to, to get you angry. God says, stand your feet fitted with the gospel of peace. In that moment, you stand. You stand as a man, as a woman of God, of peace, of righteousness, and of faith. And you stand in that moment because the weapons you and I have aren't the ones we hold in our hand. They're the ones we hold in our heart. And if you hold in your heart that God has asked you to be a person of peace, a person of faith, and a person of righteousness... Those are all you need to be able to stand in that moment. Would you pray with me as the worship team comes and returns to the stage? Father, we thank you, God, that in this battle that we are in, that we are not the one who fights, that we are not the one who is fighting this battle, but it is your battle. God, I'm so grateful because I know I don't have the strength in me to fight this battle. I'm so thankful that you are the one who fights for me. I'm so thankful that all you have called me to do is stand. But Lord, sometimes that's hard enough. It's hard enough just to stand. When there is an enemy we face that we can't see, that is up to schemes that we don't always know about, sometimes it's hard enough just to stand. And so Lord, I ask that you would help us to do that today. And as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to give you the opportunity just to search your heart right now search your heart right now to see if maybe there's a place in your life where you've left yourself exposed. You've left yourself exposed to the enemy's schemes. There's a place in your life that's not covered by the breastplate of righteousness. Maybe nobody knows about it. Maybe only your mailman knows about it. Maybe only your internet history knows about it. Maybe only your spouse knows about it. Maybe only you know about it. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's anger. But there's this chink in your armor. There's this place that if you leave it uncovered, that you leave yourself exposed to the enemy to be able to try and discredit you and discredit your witness to people around you, I just want to give you the opportunity just to search your heart and ask God just, just to repent and turn from that. And you say, I've tried time and time again. I know you have. Stop trying. And just give it to God and just allow him to fight for you. Just allow him to fight that battle for you and to cover you and help you cover you in that armor of righteousness and peace and faith. So maybe there's that spot in your life that you just need to repent today. You just say, I'm going to turn from that. I don't want that in my life. I don't want that, 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 uh, that, that exposed place in my life. And you just need God to cover that. 
He'll do that today. Or maybe you're here and you're just discouraged. It's been a hard week, a hard year, a hard few years, and the enemy has been firing his flaming arrows at your life. And you don't know how to fight them off. And you just need to dip that shield in the waters of faith today. That God would just remind you of what he's done in the past, of how he loves you, he died for you, that you are valuable, that he created you, and then he died so that you could be in right relationship with him again. And he just, you are so valuable to him. And he loves you so much. And you just need to dip that shield of faith once again in those waters to know that, yes, God cares for you. He knows your name. And he loves you. You got a God who's crazy about you. So much that he would hold nothing back to be in relationship with you. And you just need to dip that shield in those waters of faith again and say, God, no matter what I see around me, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you know what's best. I'm going to go forward in faith, Lord, because of that. Or maybe you got someone who's just been trying to egg you on and get you angry, push your buttons, put on that armor, that gospel of peace this morning. Father, I thank you for my friends here this morning, and I thank you for the way your Holy Spirit speaks to us. Lord, would you just search our hearts and cleanse us, Lord. God, our image is not anything that's important. God, it's not our image or, or our front that we put up. It's our hearts lived before you rightly that are ultimately important. So God, if there is anything in our hearts, Lord, just search us, cleanse us, call us today to be, God, in right relationship with you, to live the right way, doing the right thing by you and by the people around us. Lord, help us to take that breastplate of righteousness, faith, and peace. Lord, there's many that have, in this room that have maybe tried to stand, Lord, would you make their feet firm this morning to be able to stand? when you've done everything there is to do to be able to stand, stand firm then. Lord, we're not called to fight the battle, but we gotta stand in the battle. So Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that in a way that's pleasing to you today. In Jesus' name.